I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel. Streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. back to Barton and Bud. I am Barton Simmons with Bud Elliott. We are sitting here um, just running on the fumes from signing day. Uh, hopefully you caught our best of signing day episodes on Barton and Bud. We didn't record an episode live. We just took some of the some of the sound bites you may want to be, uh, may have wanted to hear, may have been interested in. Uh, and, and today, We'll, we'll, we'll kind of get a little short show. We want to make sure we got a little preview in this weekend because after all, Bud, uh, it is championship weekend. And, what? you know, like that's kind of weird because we just had signing day. Now we got games it, to talk about. It's really weird, man. Like normally, all right, signing day, day after you get some more written content out, whatever you, you, you kind of survey the landscape. And I kind of shut it down for, for, you know, for about a week. And then this week it's like, all right, conference championship games. Everybody ready? Cool. <laughs> Try to generate some energy here for this because I, I I am I am a little bit tired. Not gonna lie, um, it's it's I, th- I I honestly I thought signing day. You know, hopefully you got a chance to check out our show. Um, thought it went pretty well, but the 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 news was lacking, and I think it's because of the that like we are in the middle of the season still. We are just like you and me and everyone that was following recruiting barely had a chance to really get caught up by the time signing day showed up. I don't think college programs really had their, their mind on it as much as they would have otherwise too. So a little bit of a slow day from a, from a drama standpoint. Um, but uh, that that's because of what we got popping this weekend. You know, one thing I thought about really quickly before we get into these, these previews, can you imagine if visits had opened up like for the final month what an incredible season of flips we would have had. Like we already had yeah. some decent flips yesterday. Like if we had actually had people get to meet these these commits and commits get to meet these campuses for the first time all year in like mid-November, dude, that would have been amazing. I agree. Like that would uh, Will Fong would have been like, pay me a million bucks. Here, here we go. <laughs> he's just that he's already got so much info. Cause you were you were talking about it back in the spring in terms of like when um the, the expectation for decommit season when official visits open up and, and yeah, I mean, if we had gotten a whole fall of official visits, oh, but even, yeah. even a week, even one weekend, um, you know, it would have been uh, maybe two weekends. You got to have two visits to compare, but um, that would have been, that would have been wild. I agree. I, I was watching the, the Norvell press conference, five of their 16 guys ever made it to campus. Wow. That's just, that's crazy. Yeah. They're, they're, 
Oh, man. There's some borderline guesses on both sides of the table right now. Uh, yeah, for sure. All right. You want to start with, with the best game? You want to start with... Uh, let's start with Alabama-Florida. Is that right, the best game? I, I think it's... I think it's got potential, well, but uh, the, the rematch is game, probably the best. Closest game is the uh, yeah the rematch, but I think um, let's start with Alabama, Florida, though. All right. So Bama is favored by a whole bunch here. Uh, where's the set? 17, 17 and a half. Uh, you, you just got off the locks pod, yeah. Seven, seventeen points. Yep. Um, was thirteen, kind of twelve and a half earlier in the or like early last week, and then the, the shoe incident happened and. Um, I think more important than the shoe incident was how many points Florida gave up to LSU, LSU's offense with, without Arik Gilbert. Mm-hmm. I could see Florida making some noise here, but it's almost everything has to go right. I think, and and for me, it starts with what is the best passing offense that Alabama has faced this year. It's got to be Ole Miss, right? Um, yeah. What's the second best? I was just going to write like as you as I was answering that question, that was that was what I was thinking too. Yeah, because remember, it's not Georgia. Like you look at Georgia's numbers, but that was Georgia with uh, the the mailman at quarterback. I mean, it's probably I don't know, like LSU, maybe uh, I Missouri. I think statistically, it's probably A and M, but at the same time, like A and M's offense. It's just not explosive in any way. I mean, it's it's plotting and efficient, but it's just they don't hit big plays, especially not not through the air. I, I think Alabama's defense is a lot better than it was against Ole Miss. I think they made legitimate improvements. They, they, they've incorporated their, their young guys. You know, Will Anderson's a terror off the edge, but I don't know that. Like they haven't actually proven it defensively against a really good offense. And Florida right now, number two in passing explosiveness. Number four in passing success rate. If I'm UF, I'm not even trying to really run the ball, man. I'm just coming out there. We're, we're, we're going empty. They go empty. Shout out Seth Galina, pro football focus for this. They go empty more than any team in the country. I'm just going empty, kind of like they did in Georgia. And, and I'm, I'm motioning those backs out and trying to hit some wheel routes and, and see if I can. I'm going to try to score 50 because I might need 50. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at Alabama's season. Um and their defense is definitely playing better, without question. And I, this is not meant to discredit the defense, but it is like this is a, a Florida offense that, like, let's compare it against the the teams Alabama's actually played here since that Georgia game. Um, Tennessee, awful. Mississippi State, awful. Kentucky, I mean, you got to be like, I'm not gonna say Kentucky is just. I mean, they, they've had their moments, but that's a one-dimensional offense, and you can't beat Alabama with a one-dimensional And the dimension ain't passing. Right. And <laughs> Auburn is Auburn is sort of similar, and even that game, they were kind of beat, beat up in the running back room. Um, and on the offensive line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then LSU. LSU got 17 on Alabama uh, with that true freshman quarterback, and then Arkansas. Arkansas, of that crew of those games, Arkansas, the 52 to three win over Arkansas, may be the most impressive result because Arkansas actually has had a few games where it's found a way to score some points. Um, and that is an offense that's got, it's got a little bit to it. It's got some playmakers in it. So, so again, this isn't meant to discredit Alabama's defensive improvement because it's, that's real, but it is meant to, 
to say like Florida's not going to score 10 points. Like Florida's going to score in the twenties at the at, at a minimum. Um, and so what is Alabama able to do? And I look, Alabama, maybe they'll pick their score uh, or pick their offensive number. But I think this Florida team is capable enough offensively. And even, you know, even Florida, um, you know, they've got a surprisingly like, let me see plays per game on offense. They're ranked 70th in the country in plays per game on offense. Um, so it's, it's not like the Georgia's or Florida isn't able to sort of hold on to the football a little bit. Um, and some of it is just, it's not necessarily ball control offense. It's just, they, you know, they drive the field and they will, they, they're going to, they're not going to go three and out. And so, um, I, I just think that there's an opportunity for Florida to get some points on the board and 17 is a big number. I, I just think there's going to be a, I think it's going to be a competitive game. I don't know. I think it can be competitive for for a while at least. The the, the over under here is seventy four with a line of seventeen. That's an implied score of like what twenty nine forty six ish. So I think Florida can score thirty. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I'm not entirely convinced Florida can hold Alabama under fifty. Really? I mean, I. I don't know. There's some stuff here that that concerns me. Like this is this is the other side of it, right? Bama has been an extremely good team against the blitz this year. Like if if, if you blitz Mac Jones, it's basically over because because Najee Harris, for all the stuff he does well, he catches the football. You know, he's a tough runner. He's got some explosiveness to him at times. He's become like an absolute just grown man in blitz pickup, almost like Kyron Williams of of, of the Irish, who we'll talk about in a minute. And I don't know that Florida has the front four to affect Mac Jones otherwise. Like, do you think this Florida front four can get pressure without blitzing? Um. Uh, well, I mean, they not, not not I don't I don't have confidence in Alabama's offensive line giving up a lot of pressure. Um, our boy, uh, what's his name, the Georgia transfer, um, Britton Cox. Britton Cox. He's pretty legit on the edge, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with your point there. And Mac Jones, if, if you look at the the numbers, he's very rarely pressured, but when he is pressured, he's actually been really pretty damn good. So it's kind of like, Hey, you got to be able to get to Mac Jones. And then for whatever reason, even when you do get to him, he doesn't seem to be that rattled by it. Like he, I think if you hit him, which he hasn't been hit a lot this year, but I feel like he is very good like he's comfortable with bodies around him. You know, I mean, like he has enough inner confidence in that offensive line that, yeah, the pocket might be compressing. He might have some people around him, and heck, sometimes he might be too comfortable. And, and there's a chance, you know, maybe maybe you get a, a you know, a shot on his arm and he fumbles or whatever. Uh, but he's absolutely comfortable waiting to the last second to launch the ball downfield. And generally, when you launch the ball downfield to your favorite player in the sport, <laughs> good things happen, man. I there's just a lot about this Florida defense right now that that I. I thought it was improving at times, and then the LSU game kind of threw me for a loop a, a little bit. I, I think Florida will score. I, I know Alabama will score. I will say this: the only the only way this game is is competitive, if I, if it's competitive, like I said, it was the only way it will be is if Florida's offense just goes off and is able to score most of its possessions. Because I think it's going to have to. It's going to have to be like that A and M game. Like A and M beat Florida because A and M kept scoring on Florida. Um, it didn't beat Florida because it could stop Florida. I think that's what Florida's gonna have to do with Bama. Like, 
if it beats Bama, it's going to have to score every time because I think Bama is going to score just about every time. If you're Nick, do you think you may want to just play this thing a little bit slower? Like I know that's kind of counterintuitive to play a low position game if you have the talent advantage, but Florida's run defense is is not very good. Um, I might want to limit possessions and not put my defense on, on the field for for eighty plus plays here, just because you know, I'm scoring so fast on offense. Like this could be an opportunity, and this is the only way I think the game stays under is that this turns into a Najee game. Florida's you know defense gives up a, a huge you know huge amount of success rate to rushers. I, I could see Nick Saban just saying, I saw what Jimbo did to these guys. Our offensive line's better than that. I, Florida kind of plays that new style even more, a little bit the, a little bit more than we play that new style. I'm just going to pound these dudes. Like with the win, we're the number one seed. I'm, I'm not going to risk this turning into a shootout. See it. Um, but I also think I still don't know if that's how Alabama thinks anymore. I think they'll just I think they may just like Sark's just going to scheme up. Like, how can you resist going up top to Devontae? How can you resist? What about um, what about ACC? You want to get to ACC? Yeah, Let, let's let's go ahead and go ACC. This is fun, man. I mean, that you get a rematch. You get two you know two historic teams, uh, and you get you get arguably the best player in the sport coming back. He wasn't there for the first game, and even without him, Clemson took Notre Dame to overtime. I, and yet, I have this weird confidence in the Irish, and, and maybe I'm just maybe I'm blind to this. But I, I, I was hoping you were going to talk me down, man. I was hoping you were going to bring some Clemson heat here because I'm 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 all over the Irish on this one. Okay, if you want to take the Irish side, then I, I can give you some Clemson stuff. Okay. Let's, let's help do me that. out. All right. all right. So the one thing that, that that I see in that first game, right, was that DJ threw all over Clemson. But they really didn't want to. They didn't really want to run DJ that much in that game because we, we knew his shoulder was busted up, and then Trevor wasn't playing. And Notre Dame very much schemed to take away Etienne. All right. I think it's it's one thing to throw for 400 yards on this Irish defense, no matter who you are. But it is a little bit different to do so when the defense is absolutely selling out to stop Etienne. Against Trevor Lawrence, I don't know that, that Notre Dame's defense can can sell out to stop uh, you know Travis Etienne quite as much. Now, clearly, you know Lawrence is still the bigger is still the bigger threat. And, and but I guess if 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 Clemson wins this game, I see it happening for two reasons: they have better offensive balance in this game because the Irish can't sell out to stop the run game quite as much, and so they're able to you know have a little more balance there. Because Cornell Powell has apparently just emerged out of nowhere as a legitimate deep threat for them, despite Ladson and those guys being out. I mean, he's he's played very well recently. They still have Amari Rogers, who's you know who's pretty nice. I don't love their offensive line, but I mean, Clemson scored forty points last time without Trevor Lawrence, and I really like this 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 Irish defense. But if they have to face a little bit more balanced attack, I I, I could certainly see that you know being a bit of a problem. On the other hand, it's hard to beat Venables twice. He's an excellent schemer. And I mean, honestly, like both both sides in this game, defensive coordinator wise, this is a hell of a matchup there. But I just have to think that he's going to do things differently in this one than he did last time. And I would probably roll the dice again and say, all right, Ian Book, I've seen you do it a couple times this year. You're definitely a better, better player than you were in prior years. 
my number one concern is still this Irish run game. Right. I'm, I'm going to take that away. You're not going to hold the ball for a long time. I want Trevor to have 14, 15 possessions in this one. And uh, we're going to sell out against the run and, and see what happens. Yeah. I do think you're on to something. Like it's, it's really interesting to me. Um, like even NFL scouts, when you, when you line up Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence next to each other, you, I think most people would intuitively say, okay, Justin Fields is the, he's the, he's the runner of the two. He's the more athletic. And that, I don't think that's how they're viewed in scouting circles. I actually think people they're viewed as, as Trevor Lawrence being the more athletic mo. I don't know if like, I don't have a test better, but he's viewed as a better mobile running threat than, than Justin Fields by, by some, by some NFL scout types. Um, and I do think that the, the, the idea, like what, like, I mean, we're in the Clemson's in, you know, playing for their lives mode right now. And what happened last year when it got down to crunch time, it was Trevor Lawrence, you know, running all over the place. Um, but and, the Ohio state game last year, right? I mean, to, mm-hmm. to end the first half, he scores on, on that what 70 something yard run or however long that was. I mean, that was huge. Yeah. And they, I mean, they weren't scared to just like feed him. Um, and I, I think that could be because what are they going to do different in the past game? I mean, they already got 400 yards in the past game last, last game and, um, Notre Dame won. So you're right. Notre Dame is trying to take away Travis Etienne. I think the, I remember back in 2018, um, before that game, that was their concern that there was the guys on the perimeter and Trevor Lawrence is playing great football but they were still worried about Travis Etienne prior to that game. And Travis Etienne, they did a pretty good job early on, but then he butt busted a couple and then you know, things got away from him late. But I just think that's going to continue to be the focus for Notre Dame. And uh, and the and then the answer for Clemson is just going to be Trevor Lawrence run game. But the thing with me, I still think, and I talked about this on cover three. There, there is a there is a motivational element at play here too. Like Notre Dame has got a chip on its shoulder in this game. Notre Dame is one that's been like the 10 and a half point dogs. They won last time. Wasn't a fluke win. Brian Kelly, I, I saw him, it was like a week or two ago. He's on Scott Van Pelt um, on, on SportsCenter. And Van Pelt was like, you know, like um, he asked him about the rematch with Clemson and Clemson having all these guys back. And, and, uh, Brian Kelly was like, our guys hear that. They know that they know what people are talking about where we, we, you know, basically acknowledging like, this is a significant motivator here that no one thinks that they earned that win. And I think that counts for something in games like this. Uh, and so I, I am tempted to pick Notre Dame to just win straight up, but I certainly like them to cover. And, um, I just think that this is, uh, I think this is a really good Notre Dame team. I really like them. It's it's really a, a pretty complete team. I, if I'm Clemson, I defensively, I, I know I said I, I don't think Venables would go with the same game plan, and he has some of his key guys back, right? So that you know they're they're a little bit healthier than they were this time than last time. I, I thought that had an impact on them, uh, you know, in, in the last game. Not, I mean, Trevor obviously is going to get the highlights, but they they also were missing some dudes on the defensive side of the ball who, who they have back now. I make Ian Book beat me down the field again. I know he did it once, but like, what's the alternative? Dare Dare Williams to beat me? Hell no! Like, because <laughs> he's going to do it. I think, 
I think Book is, is even though we've praised him quite a bit, is the less likely to answer that that challenge if if you if you make him again. Yeah, I mean, look, they got an explode like they got an explosive play, a seventy five yard run to start the game, uh, and that that sort of you know, you get one of those, then you get then that's one less explosive play in the pass game that you have to have. And so I don't know if Notre Dame can necessarily count on having another 60 yard touchdown run or something in this game out of the, out of the, the run game. And so, you know, will will one additional big play in the past game be there? That that's, that is absolutely a fair, fair point. And honestly, like that's what Clemson does defensively. Venables is very much okay with giving up some explosive plays as long as he gets you off the field quickly. I mean, he has Trevor Lawrence on, on, on his team. He'll trade two or three explosive plays allowed to, to get a couple three and out and, or, or turnovers, get that guy the ball. Because like, as much as I love Clark Lee and I think he does a tremendous job with his defense, I think he, if we had him on this podcast, he'd say, yeah, if Trevor gets the ball 14, 15 times, it, it's kind of like you know Barry Bonds saw, saw your pitcher a third time through the lineup. That ball, that ball is going over the wall, man. That's, that's just tough. Uh, where do you want to go? Big 12? Let's do Big 12. Let's do some Big 12 talk here. Hope you guys are having, having a great Friday and uh, you're having an awesome Christmas. We'll watch a little of these conference championship games. So Big 12 line on this game. Uh, where are you pulling this up at here? What, what's it at now? Five and a half. Uh, yeah, five and a half and over under 58. When is the last time that the Big 12 title game had an over under that was lower uh, than, than both the ACC and SEC games? Big 12 is a defensive conference now, man. I don't know if you got the memo. It is defense. defense it also wins. might be a shitty quarterback league. Sneakily yeah. this year. Is are these the best two quarterbacks in the league? Brock Purdy and Spencer Rattler. I mean, oh, you got to throw Ellinger in there, I guess, right? Yeah, I, and look, they were the runner-up. So, yeah, quarterback play was kind of the differentiator this year in the league. Like nobody's defense, other than Kansas, was was that bad this year. I mean, there were some defenses that weren't great, but like. It, it did, did kind of strike me, like, this league, did all these defenses get that much better this year and just randomly one year everybody started, like, like playing a magic bullet scheme? Or is the quarterback play, like, really down? I don't know. It, it's it, I'm going to be interested to see, like, is this a trend or, or is this a QB play issue? Mm-hmm. Um, one trend we pointed out on the National Signing Day show, you had Oklahoma-Texas, nice recruiting classes, not – not amazing for Texas, but still a nice class, a class that most teams out there would, would certainly take. And then a huge drop-off. I mean, nobody else in the top 35. Like, that's that's, that's a big-time talent issue for this league going forward. But as for this game, I two weeks ago I would have played Oklahoma, no doubt. But then I saw them play Baylor, and I'm just like, I just – all that improvement I thought they were making, I, I just – I'm not sure. It seems like they're they're still kind of fits and starts on offense. They don't run the ball all that well. Rattler is, I think, going to be a really good player, but I just don't know that he's there yet, man. I I, I kind of trust Purdy and Iowa State a little bit more. Really, I I, I don't know. Like did, that, I, I watched a lot of Oklahoma games, so maybe I'm just recency biased there. The 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 one against Baylor, but like they, right. I watched Baylor play Kansas or excuse me, Kansas State quite a bit. And Kansas State was missing a ton of guys, and Baylor had to have a comeback in in, in that one the, the week prior. I, I don't know, man. O- Oklahoma, Oklahoma dominated Okie State. They crushed Kansas. They pretty easily handled Texas Tech, and I thought they were just absolutely cruising. 
and then Baylor, 27-14. It was, it was, it was just kind of strange. But I, I could see them winning the game. I understand why they're favored. I just that's throwing me for a loop a little bit. That that performance there. I, I did see um one of the analytics whiz kids out there was basically making the point that uh Oklahoma defensively and this this improved Oklahoma defense, and I don't know what the 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 uh, cutoff point was for the, the the stretch of games that he was analyzing, but he was basically saying while Oklahoma's success was a positive over these last, let's call it four games, uh, the average um, college football team, maybe it was college, maybe it was power five team would have, would have been even better against the teams that they played offensively. I, I don't know if that's, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought that necessarily. I mean, certainly Kansas is terrible, but Oklahoma state, I mean, they're, I know they're, I know defense is their strength this year, but they're not awful on offense. Baylor's not that good on offense. Texas tech is, is sort of a weird case study in and of itself. Um, but I don't know. That made me think a little bit, but I do still think, look, like, let's just, if we throw Baylor out as just an out, an outlier performance, it's this is still a team that's just been so dramatically different once the the guys came off suspension middle of the season, and now you're getting Lincoln Riley with a second look at Iowa State, and Iowa State as impressive as this run has been, um, I feel like I trust Oklahoma more in this spot to to show up, and 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 again this is a team that was. This season, like you could make the case, even if those guys had never come back, like or or if they had started on the roster, whatever it is, this this Oklahoma team was always going to be one that's probably going to be a lot better at the end of the season than they are at the beginning because of all the new faces, the new quarterback. Um, just that there was a, a level of, um, I don't know, uh, cohesion, I guess that that needed to to take. And we're here. We are at the end of the season, and sure enough, they haven't gone on a little bit of a run. I just think I trust Oklahoma more. I I got to say the the Iowa State run though has been it's True. been pretty nice. Fair. I mean, in, yeah. in looking at this, forty five nothing over uh, who was that over uh, Kansas, Kansas State. State. Mm-hmm. They come back and beat Texas in a game that honestly Texas probably should have won, but not you know in a blowout of fashion, and then. Most impressively here that they go with and they beat the Mountaineers 42 to 6. That was that was pretty impressive to me that their defense has been playing much better. But I will say this. If if Oklahoma wins this game, I think it'll look pretty vintage Oklahoma in a lot of ways, in that they are just able to hit more explosive plays than Iowa State is. Iowa State, like the one major weakness on this team, if you if you pull up all their stats. They give up way too many big plays in the passing game, and they don't hit any big plays of their own in the passing game. If Oklahoma's hitting those, it basically becomes a game where you know the Sooners are hitting the ball over the fence, and Iowa State's hit, you know hitting singles and doubles to the opposite field, and eventually that 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 adds up. Uh, all, all their big plays are coming out of the run game in Iowa State. Yeah, exactly. So if Oklahoma if Oklahoma can sell out, if Alex Grinch can can, can successfully gamble, hey, we're, we're going to stop those big plays in the run game. Uh, which, you know, we'll see if they can. Iowa State may not be able to counter, right? They they don't have guys at receiver 
this year who have really been all, all that explosive. I mean, they, they have Charlie Kohler, who's an excellent tight end, but they don't really have a whole lot, you know, pass catching wise other than that. They, they just don't have these dudes who are, are that explosive so far this year. So that, that's, that's kind of the key. If, if Oklahoma is, is landing those big punches and Iowa State's just kind of, you know, putt putting around, I think you're going to be right on this one. I just, I don't know that, that what, what Baylor did defensively at Oklahoma, it, in some Shooky, ways, huh? it, a little bit, but at the same time, Riley's had two weeks to work on that, and the guy's an offensive genius. So, my guess is that probably won't work exactly the same way again against those dudes. Do we need to take a break before we get to the Pac-12 or not? Uh, yeah, let's do a, a very late ad break here. When we get back, we're talking about the Pac-12 and uh, give you guys a little uh, little insight on that. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, we're back with the Pac-12. This this grind of a Pac-12 season has come to a a merciful end. Finally, game. What are we at? Game game five for USD. Um, game game five. What one, a weird year. No, game. Let's see. One two three. No, it's game six. So this will be game six. Um, and how many has Oregon played? So game six for both these teams. All right. I'm not a believer in Oregon's defense. Am I wrong? No, no, you're, this is the one error. Like this is not a great matchup for the ducks. Their, their passing defense is, it's just not good, man. Like they, they, and it's, it's kind of obvious, right? They lost a ton of guys in their secondary to, to the draft, to opt outs, to, you know, some injuries. And the results have shown. And I, honestly, I think it's impacted their their run defense a little bit as well, S- sort of in the same way. That they remind me a little bit how Virginia Tech has been looking, right? They, they, they know that they're very thin in the secondary. With the Hokies, it was due to COVID and, and a lot of stuff. With, with, with Oregon, I think it was due to opt-outs. And so the Hokies were playing very conservative on the outside and uh, trying to protect their secondary. But it, in turn, they were getting gashed in the run game quite a bit. That That's what I'm seeing now out of Oregon and Keaton Slovis seems to be clicking. It, it took a little bit longer than I think a lot of people wanted to see in that, in that game against UCLA, especially if you had, uh, if you had had the Trojans, but eventually he came around and their, their passing offense is, is getting better by the week. So I, I definitely think this is something that is, this is not a great matchup here for the ducks. I, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. Um, and in fact, like on the cover three pod, I went over for my, one of my picks this weekend. I, Cause I still think Oregon is um, like their offense has been impressive to me. Um, I think they're they're especially the way they've been able to run the football and the quarterback run game that they've been able to incorporate. 
Um, so I think they'll be able to get some points on the board. I just think USC's offense is, is, is playing well right now. And I think that they're in a position to, uh, to, to get some points on the board as well. I mean, look, their, their, their wide receiver group is, is, is playing off the charts. Um, they've, they, 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 they've got bodies they can throw at you in the run game. Um, and, and Keaton Slova seems to have got, you know, his yips out of the way early in the season. So I, I just, I, I kind of like USC in this, in this matchup, but I'm more confident that just both these teams are going to be able to score. So the only thing that, that I really like here for Oregon is, is this in kind of doing a little stats comparison deal. Oregon is one of the most explosive rushing offenses in the country and USC is 109th in rushing explosiveness allowed. That's kind of one of those, ooh, like dark green versus dark red. It yeah. shows up on the screen real bright. Yeah. Uh, USC has a tendency to kind of, I mean, you, you played safety, you know. Like if if you're if, if you're not protecting your gap, um, you can get some big chunks. And, and USC is, a, is aggressive on defense. And you know, with, with their new defense coordinator, Todd Orlando, that, that is a hallmark of his defenses, by the way. Like they're very good at stopping – plays on a down and down basis, but they absolutely will kind of place in this amoeba defense stuff and and jump all around and um big runs allowed can be the result at times. And that's something that, that Oregon so far this year has actually done a pretty good job of. And Moorhead has been creative out there. I, I don't want to undersell the, the Ducks offense. I actually don't have any real problems with what Oregon's doing offensively. The issue is just there it seems like you can get third and six on Oregon whenever you need to. And with, with Slovis and, and these receivers for USC, I, I feel like that's just something I, I trust a little bit more than than, than Tyler Shuck and those guys. Since you mentioned the safeties, even though it was a negative connotation, uh, that that's going to give me an excuse to 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 remind everyone to watch one of my favorite defensive players in the country, Talanoa Hufunga. Uh, that dude is awesome. He finds a way to make plays. He's not um, out of his gaps. He might be every it's be once in a while, else. but he also does a little. He, I wouldn't be surprised if he does a little bit of like uh, Troy Palamalu sort of uh, improvising on the fly. Like oh, that's not what we coached you, but all right, man. I guess you can do that. God damn it! Don't ever do that again. Great play. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, man, I, I think uh, I think that's it. Got a little thirty minute preview. Hope you guys can enjoy this. Uh, this actually could be a little Saturday morning listen. Yeah. We'll do mailbag next week. We'll maybe do a little, a uh, little more deeper thoughts on recruiting once we've had had a chance to sit back and survey the landscape and all that. It'll, it'll be fun. Really appreciate you guys getting us up. Seven hundred twenty-five Apple Podcast reviews. This thing is is chugging along a lot bigger than I thought it'd be this this far into it. And uh, we're we're not that far behind Josh Pate, and he goes five days a week, and we we only do twice. So we two hundred behind. He's at nine twenty. We're at seven twenty something. So let's catch him. Let's, let's pick it up though. Let's get it rolling. Yeah. All right, see you next week. Later. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.